Thank you, Sandra, for reading the scripture. John chapter 15 can seem sort of repetitive. I don't know if you felt that as you were reading it. <laughs> and I, I believe it's there's a, there's a reason for that. Um, someone took time to actually write it, so there's got to be some sort of point to the whole thing. Why does it keep, it feels like he, Jesus keeps going back and referring to the same thing and restating it and then continues to step forward. It's like he takes two steps forward and then takes one back and then two more and then one back. So I want you all to be able to, to, to see this and to turn to chapter 15 of the Gospel of John. John the Apostle um, is one of Jesus' best friends. Um, he's also known as the faithful disciple. Uh, some say he was likely the youngest disciple. He was probably just a teenager. He was the only disciple to stand at the foot of the cross when Jesus was nailed to it. And he was the only disciple that watched this happen before his eyes. He was entrusted by Jesus to take Mary, Jesus' mother, as his own mother. I think it's a lot to take, possibly, for a teenager. And John was probably very idealistic and strong-willed and, yes, even courageous, as I think uh, many teenagers tend to be. Sometimes we give them a hard time for that, but it, it's, it seems here that this is a good strength, that this is a good characteristic of John the Apostle. And he, John, seems to treasure conversations with Jesus. I say treasure these conversations because he seems to remember these conversations that Jesus had, this intimate conversations Jesus has with his disciples um, that are not necessarily recorded in any of the other Gospels. John is different. John, we get the sense, understands maybe a little bit more Maybe there's a little bit more deeper understanding. So he writes this conversation down. And as always, Jesus is recorded as using very interesting illustrations uh, to get his points across. Right? He uses illustrations of things that were around in the environment. Very easily, this would have connected with his disciples in their minds. In John 15, Jesus brings to mind the image of a vine in order to get a very important lesson across. He says to his disciples, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit he prunes to make it bear more fruit. So our daughter, who's sitting over here with my wife, Tanya, she's learning about gardening at school. And we started a little garden at home, okay? And neither her nor I really know much about gardening, so we're learning as we go. 
And as I'm reading these words, I'm thinking about the, the times like every day that when we kneel down next to this, this little raised garden we have and we look at our plants. And, and I get the image of God the Father doing the same. And there's something interesting that we did this week. Some of the leaves on our little jalapeno plant seem to kind of have a fungal growth on it. So we had to take them off. Because if we don't, it'll spread and it'll kill the plant. So just imagine, it's such a simple idea here. God the Father is the gardener. He is looking at the branches. And every branch that bears no fruit, for whatever reason, he is taking away from the vine. So that the vine can produce. So a quick footnote here. The Greek word that is translated as pruning is also translated as cleansing. It's Cleansing and pruning is basically almost the same thing, interchangeable idea. And Jesus continues to speak. He says, you, as he's looking at his disciples, you have already been cleansed or pruned by the word that I have spoken to you. And he says, abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do, what, some things? Thing or two? You can do nothing. Okay, so I, I'm assuming you kind of have that image in your minds, right? Jesus is the vine. Nutrients come up from the soil through its roots, and, and, and the nutrients are distributed towards the branches. The branches, by definition, are attached to the vine, which is Jesus. Now, the purpose of each branch is to use these nutrients to produce fruit. The branches have something that the vine does not. The branches have leaves. And these leaves take water and, and, and the carbon dioxide in the air and the nutrients from the ground to produce the building blocks for this fruit. But a branch that does not produce fruit is cut off. It's a dead end. It's not going to give you what you want. So if we're branches, if each one of you is a branch, this is one of those holy warnings. right? Hey, are you producing fruit? Because if you're not, you're going to get cut off from the vine. And what if you're a branch that does produce fruit? That's a good thing, right? So what happens to you? Are you automatically off the hook? Well, no. Jesus says that every branch that produces fruit, the Father will prune and clean to make it bear more fruit. You know, I was, I was thinking about this. It's, it's like that kid in that, in that soccer team or that basketball team or volleyball team, whatever it is, that shows promise and talent, right? And the teammates kind of get jealous when they look at them or her. And they wish they were that talented, that, that agile, that smart, that quick. And the coach comes around and he, and he, he pats the kid on the shoulder, congratulates them and says, okay, you know, we're, we're just getting started with you, though. We're going to increase your training because I see potential in you. 
You're good, but don't let it get to your head. And then he'll say something like, go give me five laps or something, and then go home, right? That's what that, that part feels like to me. The father looks at the branch and says, hmm, okay, so you've got fruit. But now I'm going to prune or cleanse you so that you can produce more. So what is this pruning? What is this cleansing? You know, that depends on each individual branch, right? Here's the thing. Here's the truth. Pruning is a painful process. You know, as I was, I was kneeling down with the plant and I'm yanking out these branches or leaves, I almost kind of, you know, feel the tug and I, and, I, and I hear it break and it's kind of painful for me just to look at it happening. But for the plant, it's, it's getting torn. Something is getting cut off. Something that isn't helping it. Something that is getting in its way. Something that is blocking it from being able to do and fulfill its purpose is getting cut off. Why? Jesus says, because I know that by doing so, the Father says, I know that by cutting this off, you will produce better and more fruit. Because remember, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Now, I gave you this example, and this is just a human perspective, as you know, I'm just trying to learn how to garden these plants. But I'm trying to get you to start thinking of this way about yourselves because uh, getting challenged or getting something cut off or getting uh, challenged by Jesus or God in a specific way, whatever that may be in your life, it doesn't mean you're not good enough. It doesn't mean you're being punished. It means you're doing something right. And there's something that needs to be pruned, tamed, cut back so that the fruit of your life may speak for itself. And we might ask ourselves, you know, why, why does God do this to us? It's not simply so that we can just produce more fruit. You know, a grapevine produces grapes. Jesus produces a fruit through his branches. It's not any ordinary fruit. And we might ask ourselves, well, what is this fruit? What is this fruit that he wants so bad out of us that he will put us through these challenges in order to, to get more of it? And no, it's not more Christians. It's not how many people you bring to Christ. That's not exactly what the fruit is, though it could be related, and it, it is related. But I want you to think about that question and tuck it, tuck it away for just a minute. Because we're going to be rewinding just a little bit back to verse 4. 15, verse 4, Jesus says a very important phrase, Abide in me and I, as I abide in you. The Greek word here is meno, which can mean to abide or to remain in. So your Bibles may say, remain in me as I remain in you, or abide in me as I abide in you. And what does it mean to abide? 
you know, I thought I knew what abide meant. Um, and then I went to the, the dictionary and just kind of looked it up, you know. <laughs> what does this mean? And according to the Merriam-Webster dictionary, it means to bear patiently or to endure without yielding. In other words, to endure without giving up. And to abide means to abide by means to accept and act in accordance with something. You see, Jesus is here laying the foundation of a committed relationship with him. We must bear patiently. We must endure without giving up. And we must act in accordance with him. Chapter 15, verse 6, Jesus continues, Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. This is the first part of this where Jesus actually gives just a little bit more detail. He's been saying, abide in me as I abide in you. Now he says, abide in my love. Well, how do we, how do we abide in Christ's love, though? Right? Verse 10, chapter 15 says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. If you keep my commandments, Jesus says. Okay, so, but what, which one of all the commandments are you talking about, Jesus? And it, here it begins to seem like we get more details. Slowly, Jesus begins to reveal it. What is this, what is Jesus abiding in? Right? Jesus says, He's abiding in the Father's love. That's interesting. And Jesus is telling us these things, so he continues, so that his joy may be in us. So that our joy may be complete. Did you catch that? Jesus is teaching us these things so that his joy may be in us. To make our joy complete. That is the whole point of this teaching. For joy. Now I imagine him, you know, looking at his disciples as they sit together. Maybe they're sharing a meal. And I imagine him looking at us here today. I imagine him looking at each one of us, at each one of you, and and, and smiling. Because he's about to let you in on something. You see, Jesus is about to let us into something here today. And, and, And you and I both know that we need it. You know that you need what Christ gives, even if you don't exactly know what that is. Jesus says he will allow us to experience his joy, fullness of joy, an overflowing joy, a life-giving joy. Jesus knows what we need. And this is what we need. I need joy today. Someone in here needs joy today, and you know it. So I've got good news today. 
Jesus is letting us in on his joy today. And he's smiling, anticipating your smiling. Yes, he's that good. Yes, he's so good to us. But Jesus is never going to do what you expect him to do. Now, as uh, C.S. Lewis writes in the Chronicles of Narnia regarding Aslan, the, the lion, he says he's not a tame lion. He will do what he will do. And so Jesus finally begins to spit it out. Chapter 15, verse 12, he says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now you might be thinking, wait, that's, that's not news. That's old news. Why, why, why is Henry rehashing this 2,000-year-old commandment? Here's the deal. I want us to pay attention. The one thing that we must do to abide in the love of Jesus, which will produce fullness of joy in us, is this. That we love one another as Jesus loved us. As Jesus loved you. I'm going to say it again. As Jesus loved you. And here's where the word that he speaks began to cut into me. This is where I felt God the Father take me in his hands and say, you know, Henry, are you doing this part? Because what's it going to be? You have only one command from Jesus to follow and to do. But if you don't do this, you're not fulfilling your purpose. It doesn't matter how much you write and teach and preach and sing and whatever it is that you do. Your degrees won't matter. They don't matter. Your success doesn't matter. The respect that people might have for you is useless. Nothing matters unless you do the thing, the one thing that I'm asking you to do. And I'm telling you honestly what I felt. I could be loving people more. I could be loving people the way Jesus loves me. That's why the Father spoke this way to me through Scripture. In verse 13, Jesus continues, No one has greater love than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And he says, You are my friends if you do what I command you. Now, you don't just go and die for someone you don't know, right? You don't just wake up one day and decide, you know, today I'll, I'll, I'll love you enough to die for you. It's something that takes time to develop. We often realize that we don't even know what, mean, what, what love actually means. We have such messed up notions of what true love is that we often completely miss it. Christian love is based on the love of Christ for us. So to know what love means, we have to bear patiently and endure without giving up in Christ's love. In verse 16, Jesus continues, and he says a specific phrase that will stick for stick in my mind, uh, I think forever. He says, You did not choose me. I chose you. Mm -hmm. 
You did not choose me. I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. This is not cheap grace. It's it's not a one-and-done deal. You don't just say a prayer, let Jesus into your heart, and walk away, and that's it. That's not how it works. You know, Paul writes in Romans that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. The word there is, it refers to a transformation of our hearts and our minds, our thinking. So when you accept Jesus, you're accepting a union with him as a branch has with a vine. And you accept that the Father will clean and prune you and develop you and train you and push you. He will cut back the things that don't need to be there. You accept that you will abide, remain, accept, and act in accordance with. You will bear patiently. You will endure without giving up in the love of Christ. So that you may bear fruit that will last. Amen. Your loving one another is what bears fruit. Not you saying that you love one another, but actually doing it. 1 John chapter 2, verse 27. 1 John 2, 27. This is now an older John. He says something that struck me. I'm going to be in 1 John for just a little bit. Chapter 2, verse 27, and 1 John reads, As for you, the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. The anointing, the Holy Spirit. And so you do not need anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he is revealed, we may have confidence and not be put to shame before him at his coming. Sometimes we think that these messages about grace and love uh, are somehow detached from the second coming of Christ, and they are not. It is the thing that is most important to prepare for Christ's return. He says it very plainly. Abide in Christ so that when he is revealed, we may have confidence and not be put to shame before him at his coming. 1 John 3, 17, just like maybe a page later, he says, How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses to help? Little children. I love how he uses this phrase, little children. It's like Grandpa John now talking to me. Let us love, not in word or in speech, but in truth and in action. And by this, we will know that we are from the truth and will reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than your hearts, and he knows everything. Listen, how do we know that we are standing in the truth? Is it doctrine? Is it, is it, is it, is it by, by the things that you believe? 
No. He makes it very clear. Let us love not in word or in speech, but in truth and action. And by this, we will know we are from the truth. And we will reassure our hearts when our hearts condemn us. When you begin to think and realize and, 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 and put yourself down because you're a sinner and because you have struggles in your life and because you're not good enough and you put those things in your head or, or it's the devil that begins to whisper in your ear. He says, you know, when, when this begins to happen, this loving each other in truth and in action, by this you know that you're from the truth and this will allow you to reassure your hearts whenever your hearts condemn you for God is greater than your heart and your thoughts and he knows everything it's not simply about speaking truth it is about living now you know what you know what Grandpa John is saying here like I said I call him Grandpa John because he's calling us little children Grandpa John is saying some of you know the scriptures cover to cover but I'm not so sure you know Christ. Some of you know all the rules, the theology, the language, but you don't have a clue when it comes to loving Jesus and how Jesus loved you. Paul says it this way, if you don't love, you're just making noise. You can even, you can even give yourself up to, to martyrdom. You can, you can die for the things that you say you believe in. And it would be for nothing if you do not love. Sure. You know what happens to many of us? Instead of focusing on God's love toward us, we focus on how good we've been. And when we realize, when we realize that we are actually hopeless when it comes to sin, the spirit of the Antichrist begins whispering in our ear. You're cursed and you've gone astray. You cannot attain salvation. And Jesus must have been mistaken to pick someone like you. How could he ignore that you're, you're a hopeless case? Maybe he could save others, but you, you're beyond reach. Look at yourself. Compulsive liar, a thief, an addict, you're too depressed, stuck in the past, you're a failure, you're evil at your core, you're a criminal, you're a fraud, you're worthless, you fill in the blank, you're a lost cause. And I know that each of us has had at least one of those spots. There's a song written, titled, Embracing Accusation. And I will read just a bit of it. In this song, the singer, the songwriter writes, the devil is preaching the song of the redeemed, that I am cursed and gone astray. I cannot attain salvation. Could the father of lies be telling the truth of God to me tonight? If the penalty of sin is death, then death is mine. I hear it saying, cursed are the ones who can't abide. He's right. He's absolutely right. 
The devil is preaching the song of the redeemed, though, that I am cursed and gone astray. I cannot gain salvation. Oh, the devil is singing over me an age-old song. This is nothing new. That I am cursed and gone astray. Yet he's singing the first verse so conveniently over me. He keeps singing that first verse so conveniently over each of you. But he's forgotten the refrain. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Hallelujah. Jesus saves. So, so, so hold on to Jesus, the true vine. Yes, he said that each branch must abide in him and that every branch that does not abide in him is thrown out. Yes. But do not forget that Jesus said to abide in him. Yes, but there's a second part to that, where he says that we are to abide in him as he abides in you. And Jesus does not fail. Jesus abides in you. He is so connected to you. He is so enduring with you. He bears with you all things, all things. Even when the disciples failed to remain with Jesus on the night of his betrayal, even when they denied knowing him, even when they cowered in fear, even when they fell away like useless branches, Jesus was still abiding with them. For even if we are unfaithful, Christ can never be unfaithful to his branches because he cannot deny himself. He is the true vine through and through. And even as he was nailed to that cross, he was abiding with us for he could not deny who and what he was, what he is, and what he will continue to be. Jesus saves because he loves, not because he condemns. He himself was counted among the condemned, and he suffered a criminal's death. He, he was a victim of capital punishment because he counted us, you and me, worthy of God's friendship. And it is this kindness, and it is this love that leads us to a transformation of our hearts and our minds. Yeah. The Greek word used for repentance is metanoia, which, which is, is, it has two parts. The meta has like, is in, is in metamorphosis. It's like this transformation. And noia is like this knowing. This, this mind is a, is a, is a transformation of your mind. Think of, like the caterpillar that becomes a butterfly. That is how drastic, how, how incredibly beautiful this transformation is. Because we begin to understand that Christ is being kind to us without us doing anything to deserve us. We begin to understand that we are in an interdependent relationship with Jesus. And it is difficult for us to understand this sometimes because we come from a culture that is very independent. We worship our independence. 
And sometimes we don't even know how to be in relationships with each other. Because we don't know how to be interdependent. And many times we, we confuse interdependency for codependency. This thing where, where, where I, I gotta please you. I gotta, I gotta be good enough for you to love me. That's codependency. And many of us live in spiritual codependency with Jesus and Jesus is saying, no. Interdependence. Where you fail, I do not. Because I ask you to abide in me. But don't forget that I'm always abiding in you. And that means that when you fail, when the Father should tear you off the vine and throw you into the fire, Jesus says, no, because I am in you. And the Father does not cut you off. This is the basis of grace. It is his kindness and his love that leads us to a transformation of your hearts and in, in our minds. He calls us to abide in him because he's already abiding in us. He's asking us to climb the mountain, but he's the one holding the rope. And, and the fruit that we must bear is nothing more than to love each other in the way he has loved us. We must be pruned, we must be cleaned, we must be humbled, we must be challenged, we must be molded until we are willing to lay our lives down for each other. That means the, the person next to you, whether that's your husband, your wife, your friend, your brother, your sister, your neighbor, the person you live next to, Jesus is asking us to get to the point where we can love each other to the, to the point where you are willing to give your life for that person. Whether that's physical or metaphorical, we will find out. We don't know what comes to us in our future. But what I do know is that many of the disciples gave their lives not necessarily because they believed in Jesus, not necessarily because their beliefs were challenged and they were told, if you don't say that you don't believe this, if you don't recant your faith, then we're going to be killing you. No, it was because they loved each other to the point where they would self-sacrifice. Because they understood that love and grace based in Jesus Christ is, is a love that is founded on the principle of self-sacrifice in an interdependent relationship, not a codependent. And the fruit of the vine that they gave was so long-lasting that you are here sitting today, 2,000 years later, still listening to the same message of Jesus Christ giving his life for his disciples, even today. That is what convinces the world that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is who he says he is, that he accepts you the way you are right now, right here, and that you are a branch in the vine that the Father is tending to. It is, it is, it is a, an echo of the first pages of the Bible where there is a tree of life and its branches produce the fruit of everlasting life. Yeah. 
Jesus is, is, is not just making a random illustration here. He's saying, I am this tree of life, and each one of you is a branch, and you produce the fruit of everlasting life. He is making a connection between a plant that produces food for good. Always remember Jesus' words. You did not choose me. I chose you. I used to play soccer and the coaches would pick the players. I wasn't necessarily the best, but I was picked. And as any of you might know, sometimes you get a job position, a place, and you get it and you feel like you don't know how you got that. You feel like you don't deserve it, like you're not good enough. There were better prospects. Why didn't they choose them? And we get what we call a uh, <laughs> imposter syndrome. If you really think about it, you were picked because someone believed in you, because someone sees potential in you. You did not pick. You were not there because you, you chose simply to just jump into that position. Someone chose you specifically by name. And Jesus says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. So reassure your hearts in me knowing that God is greater than your hearts. Yeah. And, if, and if you are to experience this fullness of joy that I have for you, abide in my love. My love endures all things, bears all things, never gives up. You are safe. My grace is sufficient for you. It really is. You must never forget. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask today for the courage and the reassurance that we are chosen by you, by name. We ask the reassurance that you are abiding in us even in the moments when we fail. And we ask that you give us the courage to continue to remain in you. That you give us the courage that we need to be in an interdependent relationship with you. And that you give us the courage that we need to love each other the way that you loved us. For this is what glorifies you. Thank you. And we bless your name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.